Our Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And God, I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would show us that. And God, I, I know that um, this morning we're going to hear some, some stuff that at times is tough to hear, but is very appropriate and very applicable. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would illuminate the scriptures to us, Lord. Father, we pray for uh, this young church. Lord, I pray that deep gospel roots would, would be laid out in this community. God, we believe with all of our hearts that if Jesus were to come and to leave, he would leave a place better. So, Lord, we pray that we would be a church that if we weren't here tomorrow, people would notice because we serve well like Christ. And so, Lord, we commit these things to you. Lord, we ask that, that we'd be a people who reflect the name of Christ in all that we do, in whatever we do, in word or in deed. God, I pray that for every individual person that's here this morning, Lord, the things that are on their hearts, the things that may be weighing them down, Lord, that you would address those specifically. You would give them some clarity in it, some comfort in it, and that your your hope and your grace and your future would shine through. Well, we do want to we want to praise you for um, finding the needed apartments for for the families on staff here at the church. Well, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace and this new season in ministry for for many of us. And Lord, we just ask that you would do a a great thing in us and through us. Protect uh, the wives and the the children. This transition is difficult, and Lord, we pray that you would just give them a great thriving ministry as well. We love you, we thank you for the time, and we just commit it to you. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. So take a Bible and open up to the book of Ruth, and if you don't have a Bible, um, every week you can grab one on your way in, and we will have some guys coming down now, and they'll be handing out Bibles. If you need one, just kind of slip up your hand, and they'll, they'll pass you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your very own, just consider this one. Our gift to you, we'd be glad for you to take it and break it in well. So uh, grab one of those Bibles and flip over to the book of Ruth. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And this is a great Old Testament book and story. And I told you last week that this book has a lot of application points for our lives. And just so many things. I think it can capture our attention on so many different levels. For the ladies, it talks romantic love. For the men, it talks masculinity. And uh, it talks about friendship, it talks about honesty, wise decisions as we saw last week, and the overarching theme, redemption and salvation. And we're just going to, as we go through this, this book for the next uh, few weeks together, we're going we're gonna to see um, some things that we can learn from the lives of some really incredible people. Uh, we, uh, we saw last week uh, this guy named Elimelech. It's a fun name to say, and we, we learned a little bit about Elimelech, that Elimelech made a, a really bad decision that affected his whole family. We saw that Elimelech has this wife, and her name is Naomi, and Naomi means sweetheart. We'll talk more about that. And we saw that they had some sons, Malon and Kilion, and we saw that Mal- or Elimelech uh, moves his family from Bethlehem to Moab because in Bethlehem there was, there was famine, and in Moab, just 50 miles away, there was food. And so he, he makes this decision to move his family there. And what we learned was that ultimately it was a bad decision. He didn't weigh the spiritual costs and the implications of that decision for his family. And we saw that as a result, Elimelech, who made this decision, he, he dies. 
we see that his sons, Malon and Kilion, go on to marry Moabite women, which is clearly against God's desire for their lives. And then they die, and they leave behind Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, the daughters-in-law. Just a really, really desperate story. And um, all of this happens because of this man, Elimelech, and his bad decision. And the lesson that we really took last week was that our decisions today affect our lives tomorrow. Every decision we make today has great potential to affect our lives tomorrow. And so we look specifically at biblical decision-making. And uh, there's so much more to the story, and I'm excited to get into it today. So Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to pick up at verse 6. We ended at verse 5 last week. And uh, the subject here is Naomi and her situation, her place in life. That's what we're looking at. She's living, as we saw last week, in this wicked, this dark period in Israel's history. And she's left here in Moab after her husband and her sons die to be likely the only person who believes and worships Yahweh God in the land of of Moab. And she has no one to relate to in this difficulty. She has no fellowship, Christian fellowship in this difficulty. And in Moab, her husband and her boys die. So this is a really, really terrible situation. In the worst point in Israel's history, the worst thing imaginable happens to this lady. She loses her husband, she loses her sons, and she has to endure three funerals, three funerals, a husband and a son, before these sons were even able to give her grandchildren. And difficult. Think about this. The, the name, their last name, their family line has ended. It is over. It is, it is terrible. And the, the implication for her now is that she's going to be destined to poverty. She's in poverty now, and it's a terrible situation, and uh, it's, it's just, it's hell on earth. And this is every person's worst nightmare, to be left without your family who's passed away and to have no one to comfort you. So look at verse 5 where we ended last week. It says, they died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Stop there. I don't know about you, but I really appreciate the honesty of Scripture. It's just really clear. They died, and she's left without. Just very simple, very honest, very frank. It doesn't say, it doesn't say you know what? They, they went on to be with the Lord, went to a better place, and now they're dancing on streets of gold. And Naomi said, gee, praise the Lord for this. No, it, it doesn't say that. It just gives it as it is. They died, and the woman was left without. And this, this was horrible at the moment for her. It was difficult. And maybe you've been there before where you have a, a, you've been in a place in life where things were just terrible, where you just couldn't imagine anything worse to happen to you and to your family. And you're there, and it is just difficult. And if you haven't been there, maybe, maybe you're there right now. Or maybe you need to know that, that it's coming. Suffering is, is, is going to come. And I just want you to know that, that difficulty, it's going to come. We need to know that difficulty is, is going to come. And my prayer for us as a church, before some major crisis happens in the life of this church, my prayer for us is that we would begin to understand suffering now. That we would, we would get it now so that when it comes, our faith doesn't crumble and, and I think one of the, the major steps when it comes to preparedness for suffering is simply to know it's going to come. So that when it comes, we're not stunned and shocked. 
I mean, we're going to be, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be crazy, but to know that it's coming is huge. So let's remove some of the shock factor. Let me just give you a verse here, and you may want to write this down. This is a great verse for memorization. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter tells us, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think that's so often how many of us Christians are. We're, we're following Jesus now, and so everything should be peachy. And then when difficulty comes, we say, what? Are you kidding me? I'm following you. Why is this happening to me? And, 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 and Peter's very clear. Do not be surprised. Times will get tough. And I don't say this to be insensitive, but I say this to prepare you. It's coming. It's coming. Prepare yourself. When sin entered the world, our, our world, our humanity was, was broken and so now there's pain, and there's loss, and there's suffering, and there's, there's difficulty. And I don't understand these guys who are into this thing called the prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard a little bit about the prosperity gospel, which says basically, if you're right with the Lord, you will have health, and you will have wealth. And, and the main problem with this is Jesus himself. Jesus himself is the problem with this because he wasn't wealthy. He was born to a poor family in, in, in Bethlehem, and, and, and the Bible talks about Jesus later in his life, in his ministry, and it says that the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. So if he doesn't have a mansion, why would we expect a mansion if we're right with God? It just it doesn't line up. Jesus is the problem with, with the prosperity gospel. And we also know that Jesus wasn't always healthy. In fact, he died at a young age. And so clearly, he, he wasn't healthy. And so I kind of laugh at the the prosperity gospel, because guess what? We're all going to die. Death, death comes. We lose our health and we die. Most of us will die later in life, maybe 80, 90 with technology nowadays and the medical care, maybe 100. And, and so most of us will live long lives, but not all of us. But for those who, who live long lives and, and, and when we die, does that mean the older people are, are less holy than, than the teenagers who are at the prime of their life and the prime of their health? See, the prosperity gospel, it just... It just doesn't work. It's faulty thinking. And so as Peter says, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. And so I'm, I want to call this message difficulty and the divine. Because I want us to know that the divine is here intimately with us when the difficulty comes. And it will, it will come. God will not be distant. He will be with us in the difficulty. And we need to know that, that though the difficulty is here, he's still in control. So Ruth chapter 1 Verse 6, Naomi's in the midst of tremendous difficulty. Let's read it. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So we'll stop there. She's going to Bethlehem. Why? Because now in Moab, she has nothing. She has nothing. Everything that she loved and cared for is gone. Let's read on. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so Naomi's in the fields of Moab. She's doing her thing and, and, and word gets back to her that in Moab, the famine, uh, she hears in, in, in Moab that the famine in Bethlehem is gone and that this was God's doing, that he had, he had lifted that famine. And in Bethlehem, there's, there's food. After many hard years, difficult years in Bethlehem, the ones that they ran from to go to Moab, now the famine's gone and God is blessing his people. And so Naomi makes the decision, I'm going to return home. I'm going to return home where God's people are and where God is blessing and where he's providing. And here's what we catch here. We catch another major theme of this book 
Last week we saw the overarching theme is redemption, but one of the major themes of this book that we catch here is God's providence. God's providence. Root word is provide. In other words, God provides wisdom and he provides care and he provides guidance in our, in our daily lives. Does God do miracles? Absolutely. We see in, in Scripture that the sea is parted. We see a virgin give birth to a baby. We see Jesus healing dead people and sick people. Can God do that today? Absolutely. I believe that with all of my heart. I've heard unbelievable things that God has done. But most commonly today, God doesn't work through these crazy miracles. But most commonly today, God works in our lives through what's called his providence, his invisible hands where he with his hand is 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 dealing with all the small details of our lives and so as we go through this this book we're just going to see several times it says things like it just so happened that and 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 that's a that's a phrase in this this literature here that that it's almost trying to be comical it just so happened that this happened in other words it wasn't happenstance god and his providence was was involved here god's involved in the little details of of ordinary people like Ruth, like Naomi, like, uh, like Boaz. And, and so this is very important for us to see this theme, God's providence. And I want you to be encouraged today to know that, that God's involved in all the details of, of your life. In the Bible, we see a couple sides of our Lord. We see, as we sang about earlier, this, this massive, majestic, grandiose God, this God who, who measures the waters in the palm of his hands, this God that Scripture tells us can he numbers the stars. This, this God that Scripture tells us has authority over the kings and the nations. We see this massive, grandiose creator God. But then we also see, uh, along with this massive, almost distant God, we see this close and intimate God. This God who the Scripture says has, uh, he, he numbers the hairs on our head. This God who, who Proverbs 16 says that, that when we roll the dice and they fall on our lap, that he controls where the numbers fall. This God who scripture says knows when every single bird falls from the sky. This God who promises if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And so we have this massive, grandiose, distant God. And then we have this intimate, close God. And he is ours in, in both of those ways. And we have to balance that. God is in control. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's this massive God, and, and if you take that to its furthest conclusion, you've got to know that nothing in your life takes God by surprise. Nothing in your life takes God by surprise. And, and it can be hard to hear this, but the death of a loved one takes God. It does not take God by surprise. Illness does not take God by surprise. Nothing, job loss, nothing takes God by surprise. And so we've got to understand that biblical truth. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all creation. But we also have to understand this one. God is sovereign and God is good. He's sovereign and, and, and balanced with that. He is good. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, as God tells us about himself, he says, I'm, I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so God, God is good. And so we must know that we have all powerful God and we have good God and they're balanced they're balanced together and 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 we can't just latch on to only one of those and so often people latch on to to only one of those and if you if you latch on solely to the God is sovereign and that's it 
if that's all you latch on to, what you, what you have is you give God credit for everything, every terrible thing that happens in the world. Rape, God. Murder, God. Violence, God. War, God. And if you latch on to that, you give God all the credit. But we have to know that Satan is real. He deserves the credit for that. Satan was the one who comes and, and, and Satan tempts man. He deceives man. And we also have to take some of the credit for that because we were the ones who were deceived. We were the ones who turned from God. We were the ones who, who twisted this whole thing. So that's, that's important for us to know that God is sovereign. But if we take that alone, we get this warped view of God. We balance that with God despite all this, these terrible things in the world. God is good. And God is, is gracious and, and merciful. And as we talk about this story, he is redemptive. He redeems mankind throughout all of history. We call this redemptive history, where after this world is broken throughout the course of history, God comes into history and he says, I'm going to make all of this right. I'm going to redeem this thing. In other words, I'm going to exchange my righteousness for their unrighteousness. And I'm going to take this and I'm going I'm to make it right. By sending my son to die on the cross and pay that, that payment for their sins. So God is sovereign and God is good. And we hold both of those in our hands. Now back to the text. God's good. He's in control. He's provided food. He's lifted the famine. He's in the details. It wasn't luck. It wasn't chance. But it was God who began to provide food in Bethlehem. And so Naomi is going home. Look at verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And so here's what's happening. God is blessing in in Bethlehem, and God's people are in in Bethlehem. And so they're on their way back, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. These three widows are on their way back to to Bethlehem. These two uh, young daughters-in-law widows, they're going for the first time to, to Bethlehem with Naomi. And so on their way to Bethlehem, Naomi stops with Orpah and with Ruth, and she just wants to have a little bit of a conversation with them. She wants them to count the cost. She wants them to think about uh, what's going on here. So for them, this is this opportunity for a conversion experience. Would they go from Moab to Bethlehem and commit to a life of worshiping and following Yahweh God and be with his people, or would they not be committed and they would go back to Moab go back to the false gods of Moab and to the sin and the lust and the incest and the perversion of Moab. And so Naomi stops and she says, all right, girls, let's have a heart to heart. Girls are good at that, getting together and talking. And so Naomi stops and here's what she says on the way to Bethlehem. Look at verse eight. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. So here's what she says. She says, girls, go home. Go home. Your widows But you're young, and there's still hope. And I want you to go home to your mother's house. And then she goes on and she gives her prayer or her wish for them. Let's read that. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, my sons, and with me. So she's saying to Orpah and Ruth, girls, you are are very kind. Thank you for being willing to come back to, to Bethlehem with me. And you have been great in how you've dealt with the the loss of my sons but i pray that god will bless you and i pray that god will bless you back in moab go back to moab and and he'll bless you there continue on verse nine the lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband so here's what naomi's saying she's saying listen i pray that you will be comforted in this difficult time 
in the house of your husband. In other words, I pray that you'll be comforted because God will give you a new husband. That's what, that's what I pray for you. You're, you're young, and it's likely that you're still going to find a husband. You'll be able to start over. You'll be able to have your needs met. And so it, it goes on. Let's continue on. And, and it says, Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And so these, these women have this, just this time, this, this intimate time of just crying together. And you've got to know that these three women have done a lot of crying together over the years. They've all three become widows, and they're crying together. They've been by each other's side at funerals. And so again, they're, they're crying together, and they're comforting each other. And so Naomi says, go home. I'll never see you again, but I will pray for you. I'll pray for God's comfort. I'll pray for God's provision. I'll pray for a new man, for love, but go home. Look at verse 10. Here's what they, they say to them. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Stop there. It's that dramatic point. It's that big, big turning point. No, we love each other. We can get through this. We're going to do it. Let's, let's stay. Don't leave. We're, we're going to do this together. Now, verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. She's so close with these girls that she calls them my daughters. She didn't have any daughters, but through marriage, she has two daughters. She says, my daughters, go back. Turn back. Go home. And, and maybe some of you are blessed with in-laws that you love. I'm blessed this way. It's a, it's a great thing. She's, they're, they're close. They're just close. It's this wonderful relationship. They've been together for around 10 years now. She's got these two daughters. She says, turn back, my daughters. And now continuing in verse 11. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? So, so here's what she says. She says, listen, why, why, would you, why would you come with me? The chances are, are slim that any man from Bethlehem is going to marry a Moabite woman. And so your only hope is me, says Naomi. Your only hope is me. And do, do you have any chance with me? Do I have any, any sons inside of me? No, I, I don't. And she says again, verse 12, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should, would, and should bear sons, verse 13, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from, from marrying? So Naomi again says, says, go. I'm too old to get married. Even if I were to have a husband and, and have a baby tonight, would you wait 20 years to get married? She's saying, listen, you don't need me. What you need is a husband. Go home. Go to, go to Bethlehem. And so you start to see Naomi really insisting and really, really pressing here. Look at verse 13. So she says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So let's get back into difficulty here as we talk about difficulty in the divine. Who is, who is Naomi blaming here? She's blaming God. She's blaming God for all of her pain. Wait a second, though. Who, who was the person who made the decision to move, to run from the Lord? That was Elimelech, her husband. But she's screaming, it's God's fault. God could have done something. God could have stopped him from moving. I mean, God is in control, right? He could have stopped him from making that decision. He could have, he could have protected my sons. And God's hand has gone forth against me. God could have done something. And maybe, maybe you've been there where you can relate with Naomi and your difficulty. You say, why God? Why me? What are you doing? Why have you caused this? Why would you do this to me? And she's right. God is sovereign. God is in control. But you need to know this. Catch this. Not all things that happen 
come from God. All things that happen do pass by God. God is in, he is in control. He is sovereign over all things. And all things that happen pass by them. And not all these things come from God. God does not say, I'm going to force you to sin. I'm going to force you to go against my will. God says, he, he does not say, I'm going to cause murder. I'm going to cause violence. God does not cause that. They do pass by him. And he allows them to happen, though they're difficult. But for us believers, we can know that, that these afflictions will make us better. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, many of you know this, that God works all things together for the good of, of those who love him. And so in life, as we have these difficulties, we're going to have some questions that may, may, be, may be unanswered. But for us, the one question that we need to be quick to ask of the Lord is this. How is God going to use this affliction to make me better? How is God going to use this affliction to make me holier? How is God going to use this affliction to make me more, more Christ-like? And hear this, there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no tear that is ever shed that should be pointless or purposeless in, in your life. We need to see that God is using these things for our good. And throughout the course of, of this, this book, this story, as we continue on in the weeks ahead, we're going to see that God uses this for, for Naomi's good. Now, let's look at Ruth's loyalty. This is, this is good. And then they lifted up their voice, voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So we see Orpah, one daughter-in-law, kisses her and leaves. But Ruth clung to her. She's not going back. And, and listen to Naomi yet again. She says, Ruth, your sister-in-law, verse 15, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So she returned. Orpah was one of those people who looks a lot like a Christian, acts a lot like one who worships and follows God. But when the times get tough and it presses on upon them, they're gone. And so that's why it's so important now for us to begin to understand suffering so that we can be sure that we're the person who is true and right with the Lord so that when difficulty comes, we're not the person who flees and we're gone in the improved to not be a true Christian, a follower of God. That was Orpah. But Naomi again tells Ruth, do what Orpah did. Go back, meet a nice boy. But Ruth, she was true. She was a follower of God. And listen to Ruth for the very first time in this story, her first words, great first words. Look at verse 16. But Ruth said, Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So what did Ruth just do here? As far as I can tell, Ruth just converted. She just gave her life to the Lord. This is her conversion. She says, your God is now my God and I will, I will follow him and I will not go home. In fact, you were the only believer, Naomi, back in Moab. And how can I do with, without you? If you're gone, I, I want to be with you. How, how important for us is, is Christian fellowship? I mean, really, how, I mean, for Ruth, this was a huge decision to move from Moab to Bethlehem, but she wanted that, that fellowship, that fellowship of just one, one believer that she would make this huge move into a place where she was not quickly going to be accepted. That's, that's, that's a sign of someone who, who understands how significant, how important Christian fellowship is. 
just really tremendous, really huge to see. The other day, um, I, I met with a buddy. He was up here working in town, and uh, he called me up. And uh, we, we're now buddies. I, I can't say we were buddies before that. In high school, we were kind of acquaintances. He was, he was uh, a really rough-around-the-edges kind of guy. Didn't love the Lord. But he called me up and said, Josh, hey, I'm in town. I'm in Boston. I know what you're doing in Boston, and uh, I want to meet with you. Uh, I got some stuff I want to tell you. And so we sit down at Starbucks, and I didn't know what was going to come of this. Ends up, this guy, since high school, had given his life to the Lord. And, and as soon as he told me that, we just, there was this beautiful connection. This guy who in high school, he and I had nothing in common. When we started talking about the Lord, the fellowship in that room was just sweet. It was just really special. And I, I, I want us to see the importance of, of fellowship. Now we have, we have Ruth here, who's this young girl who's got all the p- potential back in Moab, but she wants to go with Naomi, who's clearly a bitter old hag right now. I mean, she is just bitter at this point. And she wants to go back with, with, with Naomi to Bethlehem. But see, despite who she is, she, she loved the Lord, and there was this beautiful fellowship here that, that, that Ruth wanted. And, and for Ruth to go from Moab into Bethlehem would be somewhat like the equivalent of a converted Nazi going into a Jewish synagogue. I mean, it was a big deal. She would not have been, been welcomed there. But Ruth goes on, verse 17, look what she says, where you die, I will die, Naomi, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. In other words, I am with you in this. I am in it until the end, Naomi. I'm, I'm with you. And that's what fellowship is. We're different. We don't agree all the time, but I'm in it with you. We're going to do this together because we have this unity of spirit. And we have this unity of affection and purpose, and that is the Lord, the Lord. And so I'm in it with you, and our fellowship together is huge. And we just begin to see the importance of Christian family here. It's just the importance of, of Christian family. We have our, our family, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, and we're related by blood, but Christians are related by the blood of, of Christ, and our, our fellowship is huge. I pray that for us, our fellowship would grow, that we would begin to have meals together, that we would meet each other's needs. Even this weekend, people helping each other move, just meeting needs. It, it's just a beautiful thing that we would build each other up, that we would have community. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So it sounds now like Naomi pressed hard, but now she's actually a little bit, she's a little bit relieved. She sees that, that Ruth is real. She's serious about this. And so she says, no more. Look at verse 19. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And so the whole town is stirred. There's gossip now in the in town. Girls are talking. Did you? You see Naomi's back? I don't see Elimelech. Who's the weird girl with her? There's, there's no Malon. There's no Kilion. It's like the, the Facebook walls are blowing up. Everybody's talking. And it's, it, the gossip is all over the place. And then verse 20, look how Naomi responds to the gossip. Verse 20, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Here's what Mara means. Mara means bitter. So Naomi meant sweetheart. She says, don't call me sweetheart anymore. Call me Mara. Bitter. She says, bitter, bitter old hag. Call me Mara. God has ruined my life. Ruined my life. She's just upset. 
She goes on, verse 21. I went away full. So when I left from Bethlehem to Moab, I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So she says, when we were full, when we left, we were full, we had hope, there was, there was a future, I had my husband, I had my, my husband, I had my kids, but now I have nothing. And I think our first reaction here is bad, Naomi, bad, Naomi. Don't be bitter. The Christian motto is fake it till you make it, right? I think I've grown up in so many churches that it's, it's, hey, brother, how's it going? Good, brother, how's it going? God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord, brother. And there's all this lingo, but there's very, very little honesty. I mean, I've never had somebody, hey, brother, how's it going? Terrible. Never. It doesn't happen like that. It's fake it till you make it. And so I actually appreciate the honesty of Naomi. This is God's doing. I'm upset with God. I don't get this. I don't understand this. Why is this happening to me? We tend to say bad Naomi, but at least Naomi's sharing how she feels so that these questions of her heart can be dealt with by this, this, this Christian, this God-honoring fellowship that she's now once again going to get back in, in Bethlehem. We need to be honest with those in our, our, our Christian family or there won't be any growth because if we're all faking it, nothing's happening. And the, the scriptures say that we're to edify each other. We're to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We can't really do that if we show up here and we put a fake face on and we hide what's really happening. But if we're honest, then we really can edify each other. And so we need, to be, we need to be honest. And I can just remember some of the sweetest times of, of, of fellowship with Christian friends is when I sit down and I say, this is, this is really rough. When I sit down with friends and say, this whole Boston thing is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. When you sit down and you're honest with people, that, that's the most beautiful fellowship you'll ever, ever experience. And so how about you this morning? Are you like... Are you like Naomi? Are you open? Are you honest? And are you real? Are you like Naomi where you're at this place where you have questions? How is this happening? How can God be both sovereign and good? Are you like Naomi where, where, where you're, just, you're upset? You need people to go through this with you? That's, that's fellowship, and that's what God wants to provide for you. She was honest, but she was off a bit because she blamed God. And she needed the, the family of God followers, which is essential to straighten her out. And as a church, I just want us to become a people who really promote this, that we would promote honesty, that we would, we would promote uh, sharing what we're struggling with, that we would be people who don't just talk about the weather and about the Celtics, but that we would be people who quickly go from the shallow in our conversation to the deep in our conversation. And, and, and that's a discipline. We have to work towards that. We have to really discipline ourselves to get to a place where we're talking about the shallow to say, okay, now I'm going I'm to move this conversation to a deeper level. I'm going to ask probing questions. But we have to be that kind of people. We have to be the people who are looking for that in others, and we have to be the people who actually offer that up ourselves. Sometimes it's easy to listen to other people's problems, but it's difficult to share our own. And for some of us, it's more natural for us to talk about me, 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 me alone and not listen to others. So where are you at? Sort that out. But let's be a people who, who are honest, who are honest. And, and, and maybe you're at a place in life where you just need some help. You just need some help. You need somebody to talk to. Again, I want to point out to you that connections card. I want you to take that and just write something on the back. 
fold it up so nobody sees it and drop it in the basket as it comes by. But let us know what's going on. And you can do that now and the baskets will pass in just a couple of minutes here. Maybe some of you, you, you if you were to be real honest, you would, you would probably relate to Orpah. That if you could foresee the future a little bit, you would probably be the person who when difficulty comes, your faith crumbles. It's out the window. And maybe you just need to examine yourself now. Maybe you like Ruth, you're at a place where it's, it's time to turn to the Lord. It's time to say, I'm making a decision. I'm not going to go back to where I once was, but I'm going to go into the land where God is blessing. I'm going to go into the land where God's people are, and I'm going to commit myself to the Lord. Where, where, where I die, it will be with God and his people. That's what I'm all about. And I just love, I love this story. And um, I'm not much of a four-point, five-point sermon kind of guy. I just like to flow through the story and, and just have this just hit us on so many different levels, so many different characters. And so I th- this is just a beautiful story, and I hope it, it spoke to your heart this morning. And so that's it for today, but I want you to see which character you identify with, see where you're at. So let's just take a minute. Would you close your eyes? Just close your eyes, and I would ask you now, nothing super spiritual about closing your eyes. I'm just asking you to do this to get some distractions out of the way. I just want you to think about where you're at, who you relate with. Are you, are, are you a Naomi? Or you're in a really difficult spot in life. You need to be honest with people. You need to get some help. It's tough. Are you an Orpa? Where if you were to foresee the future, you know that somebody close to you dies, you'll probably turn from the Lord. You lose your health, you'd probably turn from the Lord. Diagnose that problem now. Are you, are you a Ruth where you're at a place where it's time to make that decision? I'm going to go where God is. I'm going to follow God and I'm going to be with his people. I would encourage you to make that decision. Let me read to you the last verse while your eyes are closed. kind of sums the whole thing up. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So they're at the beginning of a harvest time. You turn to the Lord today and you never have, you're going to find that you're at the beginning of a harvest time. But God says, I love you, I care for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet the needs. It's going to be difficult, but I do want to provide you what you need. Everything, as we said a few weeks ago, everything pertaining to life and godliness, I will give you. We pray, God, we just commit all these people to you, Lord. And God, I just pray for wherever they're at, Lord, that you would stir their hearts that your spirit would convict. They would relate with whoever they need to relate with in Scripture. They would take the appropriate steps to deal with you, to be with your people, place faith in Christ. But I just, I commit them to you. I commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to point your attention 